Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I got a question. Sometimes life stinks, so what's the smelliest smell you've ever smelt? <laughs> I said smelt. Is it, is it a, smelt or smelled? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just sounds amazing. <laughs> Smelliest smell you've ever smelt. This is the flip side of the coin of a conversation we had a few episodes ago. About, oh, the good smells. About smells we actually like. Yeah. All right, this is a bad memory. <laughs> okay. It's a bad memory for me, but it's a story my wife laughs at every time. So this goes back several years when our, our kids were still young. And our oldest daughter, Courtney, was in her bedroom with her door closed sleeping. And we heard some kind of sound in her bedroom, but we were watching TV, didn't think much of it. It wasn't a very concerning sound. And a few hours later, we go back to her bedroom to, you know, see if your kid is sleeping and give them one last kiss. And when I opened the door, I got punched in the face with a smell that was so bad that to this day I can still smell it when I think of this story. Courtney, in her sleep, had vomited all over herself. And it was like her entire insides emptied out. She was covered, like matted in her hair, all over her body. Mm. And she never woke up. So she was sleeping in it. So she was rolling around. I alerted you. I couldn't even make it. I couldn't even make it two steps into the room. Like, my gag reflex was kicking in. So I I went to the laundry room. I got a shirt, wrapped it around my face like a train robber, (laughs) spraying cologne on it. And I don't know how moms do this, but I think God somehow gives them the spiritual gift of not being able to smell things (laughs) at a certain point. Because Deanne just went right in and... Oh, gosh. I don't even want to tell the story anymore. (laughs) That is the smelliest smell I have ever smelt. (laughs) Clayton, what about you? Um, mine, mine was a pumpkin. So I uh, we you don't like pumpkin? Well, no, like pumpkin, like in a pumpkin pie, is delicious. But we had a pumpkin sitting out uh, in an apartment that we you know lived in early on in our marriage, and uh, it sat out there for too long. You know what I mean? It was kind of late into November or maybe December or whatever. And I was like, well, I gotta you know carry this thing out to the dumpster in the you know across the parking lot. So I just go and pick it up bare hands and the whole thing on the inside had just, you know, turned to liquid and oh. like fallen out the bottom. Okay. So I picked it up and this this was putrid. Like I can still feel the like <laughs> little bit of like gag reflex coming up as I think about it. But it got on my hands, it got on my clothes because I didn't realize the bottom had fallen out. So it was yeah, just disgusting. Rotten ugh. pumpkin. Did it have Rotten mold pumpkin. growing in it too? I, I I didn't really examine it. Like I wasn't digging around <laughs> to figure out what was wrong, but it was real nasty. Mm. What about you? For me, uh, vomit is definitely it. But my dog, I've got a I've got a dog, and as a puppy, he would throw up often. You know, he'd eat ugh. something that didn't agree with him. And I guys, I'll tell you, I would. The amount of times that I would gag when I would try to, like, I clean it up, like, I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense. Like, I'm going to throw up and make a mess myself. Uh, it, it's just, it's just bad. I don't do well with vomit. Yeah. So. Dog vomit, kid vomit, rotten pumpkins. Yeah. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I've got a puke story, but we, we don't need to go there. We don't need to go there. Should, right. we, should we give a little alert here? I don't know if you can hear what we can hear in here. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's a good call, Clayton. Mm-hmm. So we are currently recording this podcast during a rain slash ice storm. 
And there is a storm drain running down the wall where we are recording this episode. So we can hear a waterfall going on. So we don't know if this is getting picked up on our microphones. If you find yourself needing to pee a lot during this episode, (laughs) it might be because there is a subtle waterfall being recorded in the background of our conversation. But if not, now you know what we're experiencing. And this episode is off to a rousing start. We've already had two vomit stories and a reference to peeing. Yeah, a certain segment of our audience has already already turned this off. Uh, And another segment has leaned fully in. Yeah, like I can't wait to hear more. All right, Clayton, tell us what passage we're looking at. All right, we are currently in the book of Romans, which is Paul's masterpiece covering so much uh, of the richest uh, theology that there is. Uh, He has been telling the story of how we were uh, dead in sin, but Christ came to rescue us. And now, uh, because of what Christ has done, we are made right with God, and God begins to work on our lives and transform us. And he has been talking in Romans chapter 8 about the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, move in us and change us. And so uh, he's been going on that, but he's also, in the section we're about to read, going to grapple with how the Spirit helps us when things are really challenging. So we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to read through verse 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. All right, let's start with the O and comma, which is for observation. This is when we simply look at the passage and say, what do we see here? For me, I am just picking up on some contrasts. We've got present sufferings, future glory, uh, bondage from bondage, bondage to decay, freedom and glory, like all of these, you know, bad things and good things right next to each other. I see a contrast between now and then. There are things that are true now and there are things that will be true in the future. Yeah, I, I noticed that opening verse, that similar thing. There's, a, there's that comparison about uh, now and in the future, but it's the the disparity between the two things. So Paul says, I consider our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed, which is striking to me. That's one of the things we look for, things that are striking, because 
when I experience present suffering and when I talk to people who are suffering, it often feels so overwhelming. And one of the things that happens is you start to say, like, this this feels too much. And for Paul to look at things, and Paul had been through a lot of things, like his his experience was uh, was pretty rough in some situations. For him to look and say, our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to what's coming, that's a, that's a really striking, bold claim. Yeah, you see some uh, more repeating words, creation, um, children of God, adoption to sonship, uh, first fruits is another, uh, like, example of, like, like children of God or that sonship type thing, firstborn, brothers, sisters, all that. The word hope in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. He who hopes, who hopes for what they already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so the conversation about hope and expectations of what this life is and what we should expect out of this life versus expectations and what we should expect out of the life to come. I think one of the most uh, depressing things is when you put too much hope in your expectations of what life should be right now. Hmm. We we get to experience, like we get like these foretastes of the kingdom of God, of perfection. There's good that we experience now, but certainly not in the fullest that we will one day. Uh, and doesn't it even say, where does it say here about the spirit being a deposit? It, is that, that word is used here, right? Um, I don't think it talks about the deposit. That's there's that passage in Ephesians one that talks about that, but I don't think it uses that. Term oh yeah, here. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't use the pot first fruits. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, yeah, grown right. So there's something about we're we are those of us who have been adopted into God's family. We're citizens of God's kingdom. We are already experiencing some of the things of the kingdom, and we certainly get experiences with the Holy Spirit, but it's not the fullness of what will come one day in the future. Yeah. The the idea of first fruits, if you're in a farming you know situation, when the crop starts to come in, that first kind of round of gathering up the crops is like the first taste of all this huge amount of stuff that's about to come in. So the Spirit's supposed to be that, like, you want to know what heaven's like? Here's just a little bit, like let this experience. But I think it's really interesting. The thing, the repeated word that I observed here was groaning which gets repeated. So we've got this situation where it's like, we've got all this hope and you think, oh, that should make me feel good. And yet it's all this groaning and you think, oh, I've got the spirit. That should be a taste of heaven. And yet it's groaning, you know? And um, I think it's interesting who's groaning in this. Um, First, it says all of creation. So like everything's messed up. And then it says, we who have the spirit, like the, like people who know God, we're groaning too. You would think that would alleviate it, but in some ways it, it intensifies it. And then it says the spirit himself is groaning. Like that's that's pretty profound to say when when we ache and long for something more than what's going on right now when we're we're suffering, the spirit groans with us. That's that's a deep thought. And the analogy is in there regarding childbirth. If you're waiting if you're waiting for something to happen that you know is the point and will bring great joy, you're waiting for life to come. But there's an awful lot of waiting and difficulty and sometimes pain before you can get to the reward, right? And uh, if we ask the question at the beginning with our with our uh, banter that we always do at the beginning of every episode, and we ask the question, where do you hear the most groaning? One of the answers would be in a maternity ward in a hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, the, the waiting and the anticipation is is a big contrast here. The other thing that stood out to me in verse 28, 28 is that uh, I love how it says, and we know that in all things God. Like I know the sentence continues, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But I love just the, like if you would just stop that sentence there and say, you know, like, and we know that in all things God, like he is all things, he is in all things, like he is everywhere present. Like it's just this this really cool thing to say. You know, there's some of those like, but God, like some of the Bible, like they they start, some of the, the passages start with but God. To me, that stood out like, yeah, in all things God. Yeah, especially in a passage that's talking about suffering. Suffer, one of the things suffering does is it makes you think God is gone, that he's absent. And so even just to have the affirmation, in all of these things, especially in the suffering, God is present. I, I, I do want to highlight that verse because it is – I'm sure you've experienced it if you've been around uh, kind of church world for a bit. People like to quote this verse because it is really encouraging, um, but it can also be used in a pretty um, trite way or in a way that um, almost almost makes things worse. I don't know if you've experienced this where someone's going through something difficult and someone will bust out uh, 828 here and say – we know that in all things, God's working for good for those who love him. And, and it's supposed to make you say, oh, so it's going to be okay. And that's part of the point here. But when you put it in the context of the whole thing, and you say, if Paul were going to describe his experience of being confident that God was working out good in his life, what sound would it sound like? Groaning, right? Like it would, it would, not, be, like it would not be this, okay, so I'm totally fine with this. Like there's a, a restlessness and a discontent with how things are going that Paul is still saying, hey, I've got confidence confidence, and yet I groan. And that's those things go together. They're not separate things. Um, and so if you find yourself groaning and saying, I wish I had more faith that God, you know, God was in control. If I pr- had faith, I would probably not be so, you know, troubled by my troubles. That's not actually how Paul experienced it. Mm-hmm. You know where else you hear a lot of groaning? When men are trying to pass kidney stones. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that, it's not uh, as, it's not as exciting on the other side though. Like you don't get a baby. I don't know. I've never experienced this, <laughs> but my understanding is when you pass that kidney stone, there's an awful lot of joy and relief. <laughs> that it's over. <laughs> I don't know if that equates to the new heavens and new earth, but it's what I understand. It's pretty great. Uh, yeah, that, that verse that you're talking about, Clayton, we know that God in all things works for the good of those who love him. It's not saying that the bad thing you're experiencing or the suffering you're going through is a good thing. It's saying that God can take a bad thing. And it's not even that God is the originator of the bad thing. It's not that God is doing this to you because he's trying to accomplish something. It's saying that God is God. So therefore, he is able to take even the difficult seasons, the difficult things, and somehow have an outcome be good for his purposes, for his glory, for his kingdom, for our lives. So, yes, yeah, sometimes when I hear people use that verse, uh, it, is, it, it makes it sound like what we're coaching someone towards is viewing the bad thing they're going through as a good thing yeah, and not allowing them to groan through the bad thing. Yeah. We, we have a hard time um, saying two things that feel intention, saying this, this is bad objectively, full stop, no, you don't need to say anything more. That's true. This is bad. And also say, God is working good. And that's c- completely true too. And we, ha- we, are, are, we want to resolve it too. And so I feel bad or I feel good. And here and now, before the end comes, uh, we're going to be stuck in that tension. 
And that sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Jelly Belly jelly beans are fantastic. You might have a favorite flavor, but better than any one jelly bean flavor are the recipes you can make by mixing various flavors together. The recipes are often right there on the box or the bag. A good study Bible also has recipes. It's those cross-reference links that show you other places to read to mix in with what you're currently reading. It takes your Bible reading to a whole new level of enjoyable. If you've never used those cross-reference links, it's normally that center column in a study Bible that people often ignore, go ahead and give it a shot. Because at Bible Savvy, we want you to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. And Eric never complains when people buy him jelly bellies. And this has been your comma tip of the week. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that that I was like thrown in there too. For, for, the, for the jelly belly. Yeah, I like jelly bellies too. Uh, ask there. Is there a cross reference that we should check here? No, but as I was reading in Romans, the, yeah. you'll note, like in Romans specifically, or especially, not specifically, the cross-reference columns are loaded. They, they sure are. And so it is fun to kind of bounce all over the place and, and see what happens. Yeah. A- any other observations? Uh, if we're going to go with repeating words and phrases, then I'm going to look at the last few verses of what we read, uh, because there are words that are repeated over and over, specifically predestined. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot of big words there. Predestined, justified, glorified are probably the the big three theological words. Uh, Predestined and predestination is the one that sends a lot of Christians into a, a spin, a theological spin. Yeah, I've I've been talking with people a bit about that lately in uh, some of the theology classes we do around here, and I, I try to reassure people. What, when I, what I do in the class is I put up pictures who held one view of that word and other people who held another view of that word, and it turns out that that those two slides are pictures of some of the biggest heroes of our faith. And there is a reason why throughout the ages the people who were some of the most faithful people reading their Bible the best, full of the Spirit of God, doing incredible things for God, could not figure this out is because I have a feeling that the mystery of it is not meant to sort of be settled on. And if all of these good godly people are, have been debating this all the time, I don't think we're going to come to the answer ourselves. Um, and so it's one of those interesting things to ponder, but it shouldn't be something that you get uh, hung up on or, or kind of make the center of your thing. Well, let's uh, talk about message here. This is when we take the things that we've seen and we try to sum up in a short sentence or two what it means. Uh, For me, my message is um, right out of verse 28, in all things, God is present. And we can be specific and say God is present in our suffering, for sure. That's what the passage highlights. But I think regardless of where you find yourself, um, whatever kind of of mood, whether it's a a mountaintop or a valley-type experience, God is present in all things. I'm going to zero in on verse 26. Uh, The verses leading up to verse 26 are telling us things are not the way they should be, and they're not the way that they are going to be one day in the future. But for now, we have to endure, we have to deal with whatever comes our way. And then verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There is a role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives to help us endure, to help us walk through hard seasons, to help us pray 
when we are experiencing hard things or walking through hard seasons. And so uh, my message is uh, right there in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. My message comes from the repeated word of groaning and the repeated word of hope. And I want to put those together and say this, we groan because we have hope. It's the fact that we look at, at the world the way it is and realize there's a better world coming that makes us actually look at this world and say, oh, it's not the way it's supposed to be. There's actually something about having hope for something better that almost makes it a little harder because we can't say, well, this is just the way things are because we know things are going to be going to change. And so as people of hope, that doesn't make us kind of like, oh, whatever, we're going to be fine. It actually makes us groan and say, oh, I cannot wait. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we groan because we have hope. Well, for the second M in comma, for meditation today, I, I want to go with um, the verse that Eric highlighted here, uh, where it talks about the Spirit helping us in our weakness. Uh, I'm going to read that verse, and I think it might be worth—this might be one where—we're going to give you 45 seconds, but you might want to pause it, because you might want to talk with God and say uh, and ask the Holy Spirit— to help you if there's something that you are suffering from, something that you are going through, something in the world that is troubling you, to say, God, can you help me pray for this? You know, to call on the Spirit when you're saying, this feels overwhelming, and and I know that you will groan with me as I groan for this. So let let me read this, and then I'll give you 45 seconds or as long as you need uh, to ponder it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. All right, let's talk about the A and comma, which is application. What do we do in response to this passage? My application is similar to what you just had us do in, in meditation. It, I thought, it, like, pray more. Uh, for me, uh, my personality type, if I'm in the middle of, like, uh, something that's hard, um, I kind of go into fix-it mode. Um, I try to think and look at things from all angles and say, okay, what can I do? Um, and there is a part, there, there is something to that. Like we, we can, uh, there are some things that God might want us to do. Um, but it's also just that, that conversation with him, uh, just a humble, open conversation of saying, um, before I, I look at, well, me, I, what can I do? Like, God, what, what do you want to do? What are you trying to do? Um, how can you help me? How can you, how will you help me in this? My application is about the Holy Spirit being our prayer partner. So at Christ Community, often when we are in prayer meetings or we're praying together as a staff, we will often say, okay, get into groups of three or four. And so you're praying with other people. And so you're going to pray and then you're going to stop praying and you're going to wait for someone else to pray. And so my application is even if I'm praying alone, the truth is I'm never really fully praying alone because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us and is with us all the time as our helper. So I always have a prayer partner with me. So what would my prayer life be like 
if I am if I imagined in my mind that the Holy Spirit is like standing in a group of three praying, and I stopped praying and said, "Okay, Holy Spirit, it's your turn to pray through me," and just waited and to see what would happen, that might be a fun way to pray. Yeah. I think with my message about uh, hope and groaning going together, um, it's also related to prayer. So I, I think there are probably some of us who, when we pray, uh, kind of lean one direction or the other, um, where we have a hard time being really honest about the groaning part. Um, and if that's you, the application could be, okay, so be real honest. Like, don't go to prayer and fake it. Don't go to prayer and sort of say what you think you're supposed to say. Say the part that sounds like, oh, God, like this, I, something needs to change. Um, if you're on that side, though, there are some people who they can never get kind of out of the despair of the groaning. Um, try to do the hopeful side. Say, I'm going to pray in a way that says, I believe that the present suffering is going to be completely outweighed by the glory to come. And that's guaranteed. The, 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 if God has called me, he's going to carry me on to, you know, he's working out all things. Br- bring that into your prayer if you're one of the people who's more on the groaning side of things. Uh, that's the application that I've got. That's great. All right. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and to start reading with us. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.